Come on in, find a spot and squat. So here's the first picture. Do you know what that is right there? That is a picture of a Cuban church bus. Yes, I, and, and for a significantly sized church. That is our team, all 10 of us there. We're in a place called Santa Clara right now. And that is truly how they get around in Cuba. And that is a church bus. Now, assuming we can get this thing to work, we're going to go on to another. I'm hoping it's going to work. Let's make sure it's on. Okay. Jim had this going. I'm going to have to do it manually. See if you can, uh, maybe there's power there. So, let's see. There we go. Okay, we turned it. Let's read this scripture out loud together. Can we do it? I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Who said that? Who? Jesus. He said that in a place called Caesarea Philippi. Some of you were with me there just a while ago. He said, I will build my church. Jesus promised that. And the gates of Hades, not going to overcome it. And Jesus is doing that all over the world. The church is the 2.4 billion people on our planet belong to the church. Now, not everyone belongs to the true church that are saved by God's grace of those numbers. But it's the greatest movement of God on the face of the earth is the church. In Cuba, the the church growth is is unbelievable. In in mid-90s, 95, 96, they had 1,300 churches. Picture the number 1,300 churches. Today, there are 24,000 churches. They went from 1,300 to 24,000. Do the math on that. That is unbelievable growth. Yeah, God is alive and on fire. Cuba is on fire for Jesus. And so it's unbelievable. There's some reasons for that, and we'll see if I have time to explain the amazing growth. But Cuba is just an island 90 miles off the the coast of Florida, just so you get that. I know you can't see everything here, but we landed about uh, in the middle of uh, Cuba, and then we made our way. We were in three primary areas where, let's see if I can get this working. Uh, we, eh, let's see, does it work? Let me try to blind you. There, it does work. Eh, it's not going to show up on that, really. Yeah, but it's not pointing out on the screen. So just picture that the center there is a place called uh, Camagüey, and uh, Larry's here. I think he's here. We, we preached in that just a couple years ago, Larry and I, and then we made our way to a place called Santa Clara, going to the right and to the green area where where the uh, capital of Havana is, of over a million people. So we were through a van, just so you can picture it, traveling from city to city, doing amazing things. This is a, a greeting that we took for you. Now, when you go to Cuba, it's stuck in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. All the architecture, everything's running down there. And, but, but they have all these classic cars that serve as not only really cool cars, but also taxis. And so we did a little home builder's greeting for you. I hope I can get this to work. And maybe you can help me. Look at my wife. She's amazing. Yes. So we try to teach these. So we've got to go up here. There we go. There it is.
Okay. Could you guys hear that at all? I mean, it's just so great. I'm sorry, but our sound guy just didn't show up. Robert, we, we do technical things. So anyway, that was a little greeting. We're going down the streets of Havana having fun there. So some of the, there's some of the cars there, other transportation. You can be in a cart and buggy, okay, or an old cart with a horse. Uh, here's another uh, way you can drive. Get around. There's my parents in the back of, you know, a little bike kind of cart. Um, this is the first meal we shared. Cuba, it, it, wow. Uh, this was our first meal. Just basic food there, rice, beans, some chicken. But I knew that because I've been, this is my 10th time in Cuba, it's so difficult to find food in Cuba. The average Cuban eats one meal a day, and that's dinner. That's all they eat. They get... The average Cuban makes $25 a month, but they get a food rationing of like a five pounds of sugar, beans, rice. They get one chicken a month. And so there is a shortage of food on Cuba. And so it took them four days to gather that much food for us to eat. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a real challenge. Uh, we would go to restaurants to eat, and we'd show up to a restaurant to eat as a team of 10, and, and the restaurant owner would come out in just embarrassment saying, I'm sorry, we have no food. That's a restaurant. And so these are, this is a little bit of how the Cuban people live. And so when you get real hungry, I took a picture of that. That's a little snack. Uh, there's geckos everywhere. And if you're really hungry, you can go for one of these. And, uh, yeah, that, that, that's a full-blown meal for at least 10 people right there. That's a big old gecko. We were in multiple church settings and services. And um, this, I, I have a, uh, a tape of Cuban worship, which will blow your mind away, but we don't have any sound, or it's not good enough to really show you guys, so I'm going to have to pass on that. And here it is right now, but you ought to see the way they worship. It's absolutely unbelievable. You just have to picture explosive, joyful worship and praise of God, which is so thrilling. Um, this is a picture of... Uh, <coughs> We showed up one day to do a children's ministry. We heard a bunch of children were here. We helped start this church, actually, that is here. And when we arrived, I said, where are the children? And a guy in the street said to me, they're in the backyard. And I go, they're in the back. He goes, yeah, that used to be a field of weeds back there. And then he said, but now it is a garden of children. And we go to the back, and there's this building that we helped construct. And there are 130 children here. This is Lilan that, that Larry, Larry, are you here? I think he was here. But Lilan, you remember uh, Lilan, and this, her ministry has just exploded, and it's just uh, beautiful. And so we're doing all sorts of games with the children, and uh, you can see Tracy's doing a little drawing game, you know, draw on a whiteboard and have the kids, you know, get, guess what it is. And we gave a full-blown gospel presentation. The team was involved. We were in it. Here's the last Sunday morning. I'm getting ready to preach. And the pastor comes to me and he says, Pastor, you need to change your message. You can't preach behind the pulpit because we have police uh, undercover in the audience and, uh, uh, from the Communist Party. And so I said, no problem. We'll, we'll shake it up. So we did a favorite. Everyone shared their favorite verse. And it was an amazing service here. And everyone right now is sharing their favorite verse of Scripture. You can share legally in Cuba, but not, but not preach on the type of visa that I had. You cannot do ministry outside the church, or you can be arrested. Or, as Americans, we get kicked out of the country. Um, part of the persecution that we face in Cuba, and we'll share more about that in a little bit. These are, uh, this is myself. That's Dan Kaufman on my right, and that's John Encinas on the left. 
They, uh, two team members, they totally identified with the culture and wanted to look like Cubans. I'm joking, come on now. These guys were great. That is lunch in Cuba. In case you doubt me, there you go, huh? Now in Cuba, they eat pig once a year and once a year only on December 31st. When they heard we were going to buy a pig for $70, they could not believe it. That's three months worth of salary. Over 100 people showed up for that pig, and it was a beautiful time of ministry with them. It was incredible. This is my dad after he ate some of that pig. <laughs> this is how they, they roast their rice. They just put their rice out, and they heat it, and then this man, he, he's the grinder, and I asked if I could grind with him, and he, he said yes. And this is a church, uh, one of the house churches. Because the Cuban government refuses to give the church land to build a church, that's against the law. They, don't, they refuse that. The church is forced to go into homes. And so the Cuban government does not realize that they are the reason why the church is exploding. Because what happens is you'll have a church planting team. The man in the green and his wife on the left are church planters. And the woman on the left is the owner of the home, and I don't want to steal the thunder because Jill may share a little bit of this story, but uh, they uh, will go to her home, evangelize her, and see if she's willing to start a church basically in her house, and I'm going to leave it at that, and this is how the church is planted throughout Cuba. Uh, This is a picture of another church that we visited. There's a well there. There are wells all over uh, homes within 50 feet of even this well, uh, that in other homes, but all the other water in the whole community is bad. And everyone has to come to this church for good water. It's called the Church of the Living Water. Miracles all over Cuba. Uh, here's my dad uh, sharing the gospel with a little uh, Ken Berry created for my dad. It's a puzzle, and there's one way to get it undone. And we, we teach Jesus is the way to God. There's only one way to God. And my dad is like, but he couldn't get the puzzle apart. As he's t- so he's like, Okay, you come back tonight, and I'll teach you how Jesus is the way to God. I'll have it figured out by then. I mean, I was dying laughing on that part. Um, Dan Kaufman doing some balloons for kids. Some kids have never seen a balloon. And uh, here's, a, here's a church. That, that is the back. The, the churches in Cuba, the pastor lives on the premise. That's his house that you see in the background. That's their only means of transportation, pastor and wife, uh, The church is in the front connected to the home. They only had one bike between husband and wife to do everything, and they'd already planted three churches that they were visiting with that one bike. We bought them another bike. And with tears, they just couldn't believe that we'd visited them and did that. Okay, um, one other story here, and then I'm going to turn it over. This is perfect. We're right on time. So we would do, um, we visit, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 different house churches. The last one we said, I had talked to our uh, guy. I said, hey, I want to go to a church. They don't know we're coming. They don't expect it. We want to just bless them. So they, we drove way into the middle of a place. It's called the Ring of Fire, a place outside the city where um, alcoholics and drug addicts and wives of husbands who are in jail, single parents, alcoholism, witchcraft, uh, all sorts of spiritism takes. It's a very dark area. And we show up at this pastor's uh, house, but I said, drop me off a block from the house. Why? Because I want to surprise him. 
So I go, tell me about the pastor. And they go, well, he came through a recovery, and he was in jail, and he's married. I go, what does he look like? So I got a picture of him. So I took a translator with me, and I walk right into the guy's house, which is nothing more than a shack, and they're sitting there, two chairs. And I walk in, and I go, and I knew his name was Nelson. I go, Nelson, I've been looking for you my whole life. And he's just staring at me and his wife. And I go, remember, we went through rehab together. You've changed my life. Remember, we were in jail together. And he's like, he, go, he said, he goes, loco. <laughs> it was so funny. You should have seen him. And I'm just playing it up. He'd never met me before. So he gets up. And he just wondered what the heck. And he wa- takes us down. And our whole team joins by that time. And we walk down to this church. And there's a concrete structure that he began to build. And he begins to tell us the story. This is how God works. 30 minutes before we arrived, him and his wife had put every penny into this house to build the church first. And, and he's, 30 minutes before we arrived, the wife says, here you are building this church. How are we going to ever afford the roof to this church? And he goes, woman, you believe in God. He's going to provide. We show up. We buy the roof for that whole church. He's sitting there. He's just, you know... Nelson is like, this is a miracle happening. He's saying, and then there's this other guy in the center. Um, his name is Raphael. And I see this guy. I go, who's this guy? And he goes, this is a, a guy from the community who's helping us build the church. But he doesn't know Jesus. And I go, a guy that's helping? You know God's at work in his life. So I walked up to him. I go, Raphael. I go, God loves you. I gave him a $20 bill. $20, a month worth of salary. I go, God loves you. Thank you for your service. And I can see him tearing up. I can see him soft. He's viewing the whole thing. So I said, Raphael, have you put, do you have the faith to believe in Jesus as your Savior and Lord? He said, yes. We prayed right there. He gave his heart to Christ. So there's a pastor, picture of the pastor on the right, Raphael in the center. That being said, we need to get to our team. And guys, we're on time here. Let's bring up, to begin with, who's kicking it off? Jose, head on up here. Joe Santos, give him a, give him a hand. Thank you. Um, it was a true... Um, True blessing to be able to go, and uh, we're so thankful for the opportunity. Um, Pastor Mark wanted us to have one one picture that uh, of one situation that impacted our life, and um, that one picture is um, how can I show the next picture? Okay, um, the, this is the one. Uh, it looks like a simple picture, but this is Pastor Juan de Dios. Uh, it was last Sunday. Uh, we were in the morning worship service. Um, the the worship team was pre- playing their instruments, and one, one of the women was troubled. You can tell she was troubled in her spirit. Pastor Juan de Dios went over to, to pray with her, and she began crying and just weeping intensely. Um, and um, what you can't see or you barely see and what, what caused me uh, just, um, just to be broken in my spirit, those are tear stains on his shirt. And uh, he came back, and his spirit was so moved that he was, he was praying intensely. And I'm fumbling around to get my camera because this is so intense that this man loves, loves his congregation, loves his, his team so much that he was, he was really moved in the spirit. And um, God challenged me at that moment because I need to be that vulnerable. I need to be, first of all, I need to be able to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and weep on, on his shoulder. And... Um, and to, to confess, I was tro- totally broken at that moment, and God used me in a mighty way. Um, 
So my application for me in my life now is I need to be that type of person to those around me, to be able to share, to be able to have somebody weep on my shoulder as they share uh, in, about the love of Jesus Christ or whatever might be going on in their life. Uh, the second item that really uh, challenged me was that at Nelson's house. It's just that he shared um, a, a, a similar addiction that I have had as well. And here is this man who is now, God has delivered him, and he's using his hands for the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I'm back at home now, I want to be able to use my hands. I cannot lay brick or mortar. Uh, you wouldn't want a house that is built by my hands. But, but the house that I'm talking about is a house of, that God delivers me to, whether it's lives. And that's, and that's what this is all about. Uh, I pray that now that I'm on home ground, that God will use me in a mighty way to be able to touch lives and to build lives. Um, and, and he's so delivered me, and hopefully I can share into the lives of other people. Thank you all so much for sending us. I just, uh, it was just an awesome opportunity, and I give God all the praise and glory for just a wonderful trip. Thank Thanks, Joe. Anita, come on up here. Anita Santos, I know I'm not going to show your picture until you're ready, okay? So, yeah. Thank you. We really, really missed you last Sunday. We wish you all could have been there. Um, worship at his church is like something I'll never forget and I've never experienced, and I just wish you all could have been there and really wish we could have the video to hear it. Um, thank you so much for praying. Um, we felt your prayers in more ways than you want to hear about. <laughs> um, and speaking of praying, <clears throat> um, if you have any kind of fear or apprehension about going on a trip like this, um, prayer, please know that prayer is very, very powerful. I never dreamed I could go on a trip like this, but I started praying um, way back in January when Pastor Mark asked us to go, and God orchestrated everything just absolutely perfectly. Um, Whenever someone goes on a missions trip, they always say they, were, they go there to bless the people, but then they get blessed, and that was just so true on this trip. Um, the people in Cuba blessed our socks off, except for Vern. His never came off. <laughs> um, by our standards, these pastors, you could probably see from the videos, um, they have nothing of material value. I know, like Tracy said, they have, um, that's all they've known. And Gabriella reminded me they have God. But they are just so grateful for everything that they have. They're just so appreciative of our visits, our gifts. And that just really, really impacted me a little, overall, overall, the whole trip. But um, what impacted me the most was when we went to see Renee, who's called Guitar Man. Um, Renee was the town drunk and a womanizer, and his son followed in his footsteps. But now they're both um, love the Lord. They're serving the Lord. They've been saved. They've been rescued, and they're just um, on fire for the Lord. And <sighs> Renee Jr. has a son, nine-year-old Rydell. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Um, <clears throat> Rydell, um, first of all, Renee... Um, the guitar man played the guitar. His son, Renee Jr., played the keyboard. And little Rydell stood there and sang his father's testimony. Um, and as I sat there listening to him, singing at the top of his lungs about his, his dad's story, I just thought, 
that whole neighborhood could hear, and he didn't care. It was just like a loud, loud testimony to the whole neighborhood, to the whole world about how his dad was rescued, and he's just an absolute little doll. Um, <clears throat> and Pastor Mark asked us to take away from what impacted us and what I want to take away. I want to be that loud and bold as he was um, and sharing my faith and not to be afraid. <clears throat> um, this was my first trip ever, um, mission trip, and I can't imagine going on a trip without Pastor Mark and Tracy. Um, I saw and heard Pastor Mark <laughs> in ways that you will, I've never seen before. Um, <laughs> Um, and Tracy is just such a perfect compliment to him. It was just so fun to see them do, do children's church together. Um, and you don't want to ever go to a Spanish-speaking country um, without Gabriela and Johnny. They were just amazing interpreters. Oh, it was... Um, their, their, their interpretation skills were invaluable. Um, we all got along really, really well together. We got to know each other a lot. Um, it was only day two that we started talking toilet talk. Um, Jill um, found out that I like puzzles like she does, and I took a little nap on the plane over, and when I woke up, there was a little puzzle in my seat pocket in front of me with a really sweet note from her. Um, Dan was always off, like you saw in the video, doing puzzle, um, the balloons for the kids and made them all smile. Um, Judy, you're such a mom. We just loved her so much and taking care of Joe and making sure he had enough to eat. And Vern, don't let that strong, silent, spiritual demeanor fool you. He is a practical joker. And he and him and Dan, I think, were trying to compete with each other. But um, thank you so much again for praying. I had an amazing trip, and thank you for your prayers. And I I was glad to be home, but it's, um, I'd go back in a heartbeat. Thank you. Thank you, Anita. All right, Sapo, come up here. Sapo is uh, frog in Spanish, and we named Dan Frog because he got bit by a frog. I, I too, thought it was a pleasure seeing Mark in action. When we arrived on Saturday, we went to Pastor Juan's church, and we found out that he was having a baptismal service that afternoon, and they wanted Mark to participate in that to help with the baptisms along with Juan. So you can see Mark and Juan, Pastor Juan, in the tank with one of the, one of the people there. And it was, uh, it was great to see eight people being baptized that afternoon, and many people from the church came out and uh, watched, and after everyone was baptized... The crowd burst into song after each one. It was a, it was a very moving experience. And then I, um, I thought, well, we didn't just drop in. and Well, we did. We just dropped in and happened to be there when they were baptizing. But the work of God going into these people before the baptisms, this happened over the previous months and years. And we just got to see the result. We just got to see these people really on fire, and they, they spoke, and they were on fire. It was great to see them, and we got to be there kind of for the benefit of it all, and then it just reminded me how Jesus is before us. He's at work all over the world all the time, and we breeze through, and we see something great happening, but there's stuff going on everywhere, all over. That would happen to be in Camagüey, all over Cuba, and all over Castro Valley. 
God is at work. God is making things happen. Sometimes we can see the things that are happening, and sometimes we can't. But it's, it's great. It was a good reminder to me that even when we don't see the exact results all the time, God is always at work, and we can be a part of that. Thank you, Dan. All right, Jilly Kay, come on up here. As you can tell, this was a couple's trip. You know, after I did our first couple's trip years ago, it was 11 years, I said every five years we're going to do a couple's trip, and it took 11 years, but finally we got it again, and Jill, tell us. Okay, is my picture up there? Yes, that, see that little old lady sitting next to, to Tracy? I call her La Vieja, which is the old lady, and it doesn't mean old hag or old beaten down woman, it means lovely older woman in my language. When we go to um, visit the church planters, the pastors, there's certain things we customarily do. We go in, we greet them, we sit down, we talk, we find out about their families and their churches and congregations, and we listen to their historias, their testimonies. So while we were at this one place, lovely little family were sitting in their house listening to the testimony of the pastor and his wife. This this wonderful little vieja comes in and just shuffles in and sits down next to Tracy, which wasn't really all that unusual. It's kind of a weird deal when 12 people show up in a big van in the neighborhood and pile into this one house. So we just figured she was a neighbor coming in to kind of see what was going on. So we continued. We, As you can see here, we're praying over the pastor and his wife and their daughter off to the right, and she's just sitting there very nicely. So afterwards, we go outside, and we, we're doing videos and more photos and stuff like that to take home, and I find myself standing next to her on the porch. So I pull out my high school Spanish, and I ask her about her. I say, do you live nearby? And she said, no, this is my house. And I said, oh, so in the course of carefully talking to her and yanking one of the Encinas over to talk to her. It turns out it's her house. It's her land. It's her property. It's her gorgeous garden that the videos we took are planted in. This woman listened to God. She acted on what God told her to do. She took the church planters into her house. She's living with them. She introduced them all to the neighbors so they'd have an in to the different people in the neighborhood. She listened to God and did what he felt, what she felt he told her to do. So if you look at her, she's just a vieja. She's just a little old lady kind of bent over. And what I learned on this trip is don't always just look at the church planters, at the pastors, at the missionaries. Look all around the edges, too, at the outliers. There's some fabulous testimonies there. Great. Excellent. It goes without saying that our team was amazing. What an honor to spend time with each of them. Mom, come on up here. This is my mom, Judy. You bet. My $5 skirt from the thrift store for this trip. We all know that a heart that's not filled with Jesus is full of darkness, despair, and disappointment. So it was for Renee, and we called him 
guitar man. He was the town drunk, and all he had was his bottle and his guitar. An older Christian woman named Hilda Lisa would search for Rene, and when she would find him, she would give him words of encouragement, hope, and love, kind of like our great example, Jesus. He, too, would seek and find the lost. Um, one day, the woman's words deeply touched Renee's heart and soul, and his life was changed forever, kind of like ours. The Bible says that if a man or woman be in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. Hilda, Hilda Lisa and Renee were married, and they were called by the Lord to start a church. Rene was no longer playing his guitar for a price, but as a sacrifice for the one who gave, through amazing grace, salvation. Um, the picture of Guitar Man, as you saw before, was of Guitar Man, his son at the keyboard, and the grandson singing. They called him in from the neighborhood by the loud, joyful noise, and it was music. Um, Hilda, Hilda Lisa was just one. And you and I, I have learned through this and through all the testimonies that we were privileged to hear, that we too are just one. But we may be the one that God has used to bring to someone God's gift of salvation through the blood and of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you for supporting us. It was an incredible trip, and I praise God for every minute. All right. Now the patriarch of the family, who pretty much looks like Fidel Castro right now. Oh, boy. It was a delightful trip. I always so much look forward uh, uh, to going on these, these trips, uh, going to see not only different places, but different people. Uh, one of the things that we did when we first arrived in Cuba... Uh, is we had an event where we had the community church people come in, travel in, come in. For, it was kind of a leadership conference where we would uh, deal with uh, encouraging, basically, to those who were there. So the women and everybody, they quit cooking, and they would come, you know, all the leaders of the church and the community, uh, some of the other church planted, they came in. And so we were wanting to be an encouragement to them. One of the things that I did, of course, is God had such an impact in my life that I professionally left the banking industry. And I think most of you are aware we have foster parented hundreds of children and we started an agency called Hosanna Homes. That all happened out of something that most people would consider a tragedy. It was, I had cancer in 1973, 42 years ago, folks. Anyway, I was able to share how 
my emotions, what I had to go through to deal with the issue of cancer. I'm 35 years old, three beautiful kids, a beautiful wife. We were youth leaders in a church at that time over in San Ramon. And, you know, my anger at God was huge for about 30 seconds. I said, God, how could you do this to me? Got a beautiful family, ministering for you. Um, but I no more than had said those words than God said, Vern, what are you doing? The very things that you're enumerating, using in anger over me, those were blessings. And I said, oh, God, forgive me. Folks, that's what I shared with these. Now, the next morning uh, after uh, what I shared, now I'm giving you the summary of what I shared with that group. So the next morning we go, you saw the kids group that we were there. After that was all over with, we had a little meeting with a pastor, a 31-year-old single woman who has a heart for kids. And what was her words? Her words were, were encouraging was back to us. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for the leadership conference. You have been an encouragement to me. I am so discouraged. I needed to hear those words of encouragement. Now, folks, my takeaway from that is each of us have got a story. It's a gospel according to you. It's a letter like Paul issued to the churches. What is your gospel message? What is your letter to those that are neighbors, your family? You are writing a letter. We are writing a letter every day. Our speech, our behavior, who we associate with, what we do, all of that is an epistle. So my takeaway, and I hope your takeaway, is I want my letter to glorify my Jesus. He will show you your purpose in life. He will give you the confidence, the peace, the virtues that you need. It'll be unbelievable. God bless you. Thank you, Dad. All right. Now for a young lady who, she struggles with finding words to express herself. Oh, man. Gabriella, put it together. Put those hands together. Woo! Hi, good morning, good morning, church. I want to read this to you. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. I wish I had the whole day to tell you all the stories, but I just have one minute. <laughs> Every day that when we meet people over there, I was just blown away. My, my, I felt so convicted that... I thought I was on, our way, on my way to be a, a good Christian and that my faith was good and I was not a, a baby Christian uh, like he was teaching no long ago. I am not a mature Christian, but I'm on my way. But when I was there, I saw that I have so much to learn. I have so much to go. I'm such a sinner. I need to be free in the spirit and worship the Lord with all my heart and to worship loud. 
no thinking of who's going to, what are they going to think that I'm too loud, I'm clapping too loud, and no, to be free in the spirit. Nelson, Nelson, is that picture over there? So the thing is that in advance, we, he, Pastor Mark, uh, he arranged uh, places that we will be visiting here, there, and over there arranged, so they were waiting for us. So that, at the end of the day, when we think, okay, the mission is done for today, he just say, whoop, let's just go and visit one more person and just show up. That's what he was telling about. So when we think that we're done, the Lord is just like, <clears throat> hello, I have a plan for you. So we just got there, and I see this little house with holes in the, in the roof and holes in the walls. The floor is just dirt, and I see the house, and I just keep walking. And then I come down, and I see this. They're building a solid church. They're building a solid church. And they ask uh, the man, Nelson, why don't you fix your house first? And then you build a church. This is the place where you are going to live and study and all that. No, I'm going to build a house of, a house of the Lord first. I'm going to give my best to the Lord first. I need to learn that. I need to learn that I have to trust the Lord with all my heart and that the desire of my heart will be just to be in his presence. It was just amazing to see that Nelson is giving his best, no the leftovers to the Lord. He's, he's giving everything to the Lord. And not just him, but everywhere we go, they will, gi- they will see us as messengers of God and we will just like admiring them and seeing their faith, but they will see us and praise the Lord for us because they saw us as messengers. They gave us their best. They don't have, and they gave us. They worked four days to get us food. We went for breakfast one day, and they have mango juice for us that we just pour in a cup and glug, 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 we're drinking it. The man said, this is mango from the last year harvest. We froze that, but now we want to share it with you guys. I mean, they're giving us everything, everything, everything. Their, their voices are loud for the Lord. They're not ashamed of the gospel. Just one more thing. That's just one more thing I'm going to say. We were in Kama, Kamagui, no, Kamaway, um, and everybody is worshiping the Lord inside the church through the window outside uh, you can see the door of the restroom. The restroom is just a toilet. It's not, it's not flashing water there or water in the sink. Outside the, the little restroom, there is a man sitting in a little bucket over there. He's just sitting there outside with another little bucket like this big, like a bowl. And there is a faucet, water faucet in the wall. And everybody that somebody will come to use the restroom, he will go and pour water in that and give it to the person who will go inside the toilet to flush, whatever. And, and then he, the person will come outside and give uh, the bucket to him. And then, well, guess what? Through the window, worshiping the Lord, dancing. And he was like giving the water over there. Okay, go to the toilet, praising the Lord. <laughs> praising the Lord. 
Él me hizo libre, Él me hizo libre, Él me hizo libre, Él me hizo libre. Jumping, that means He made me free. He made me free. He's serving God outside with that stinky area, but He's not letting the opportunity go to be praising God. He was not inside the church in a nice place. He was not too busy. He was just using the opportunity to praise the Lord because he had the freedom of spirit to do that. He was giving the best to the Lord that morning. God bless you. Thank you for sending us there. Thank you for your prayers. Glory to God. Yeah. (laughs) Gabriella, was that? Well, you should have seen her in Cuba. Oh, unbelievable. Now, John's coming up here. Now, John's the one you have to put a time limit on because he talks so much. Gabriella's the real quiet one. And uh, so this is John, her husband. John, we had so much fun with you as well. John served as an amazing translator as well, John. Appreciate you, buddy. Good morning, home builders. I'm going to be talking about Pastor Angel from Kamaway. Uh, his story is a story of one who gave everything to have it all and of uh, providence. Uh, his story is that he has a background, a military background, and he has a, a teaching degree, and he used to teach in school. And so uh, he, uh, because of his lifestyle and drug use, he contracted the AIDS virus. And so all he knew was uh, santeria, witchcraft. So that's what he resorted to, to heal himself. And so he tried, he tried. Of course, nothing worked. And so uh, he went to the hospital, get some tests. Test after test will come back positive. Uh, one time he got invited to the church of uh, Juan de Dios. And after that, he didn't look back. He had this thirst of the spirit to learn more and more and more. And uh, eventually, Juan de Dios handpicked him to start a church uh, farther out where there were no other churches. And so the church that he's in right now uh, is not livable, uh, only has one faucet in the back. There's no kitchen. There's no toilet. It's just the structure itself. Uh, One time after a uh, Sunday service uh, late, uh, he was riding on the bicycle back home. Uh, he was assaulted, uh, and then on another occasion, his, uh, the church building uh, was broken into. So then after that, he felt that the best thing to do was to remain there. And so uh, that's where he uh, spends the nights, and uh, he sleeps on the, is there a picture there? Well, basically, that's how he sleeps um, on a bench. Uh, no other commodities there. So this, when I saw this, it reminded me of a verse uh, from Luke 9, uh, 58. It says, uh, uh, foxes have dens and birds of the air have nests, but the cement has no place to lay his head. And that's what I was thinking about that. Um, I found conviction in this because not only him, but all the pastors, they're so humble. They're beautiful people. They don't have a lot, and they gave what, you know, what they have, and they gave also what they don't have. That's how hospital they are. And 
this is challenging for me. It was very wide, uh, uh, eye-opening uh, experience. And uh, I'd like to challenge myself to that as well. All right. And now my partner in crime, Tracy. Uh, it's, it, it's interesting how even the Lord dovetails some messages we've been, you know, sharing with you today, what impacted each of our lives. And uh, even this morning, Larry was talking about, you know, really what, what, you know, the cost, you know, what persecution is. We just have just the smallest glimpses here in the States, but all over the world, it's very common, just this extreme persecution. And this is a, pas uh, a picture of Pastor Moises Prada, and he was a uh, nuclear biologist, actually uh, really the golden child of sciences in Cuba. He was celebrated by Fidel Castro and Raul. There's pictures of him with Fidel. Um, he just a, a prominent scientist, and uh, he came to the Lord. And they tested him for uh, psychological problems, like what? You would give this, and he gave all of that up. And it just reminded me so much of, like, in other parts of the world, what faith costs believers. And here in our culture, you know, what, what does my faith cost me, really? What does it cost me? You know, we saw in these pastors throughout Cuba, you know, it costs them reputation. It costs them finances. It costs them health. It costs them material possessions. It costs them their family, you know. And, and, and so, I mean, not that, you know, their culture is so different than our culture, but really what does my faith cost me, you know? And, and that's kind of what I brought home is just, you know, Lord, you know, what is it costing me to follow you? You know, right now it's, it's, it's great. Ministry is fun. It's great. You know, I'm materially blessed. I'm healthy blessed. My family's around me. Um, I, I'm not persecuted. You know, I'm not spoken ill of. I don't believe. But, you know, it's just like, you know, and yet there will come a day where, you know, your faith may cost you. And that's, I guess, what I just, you know, uh, really want to um, kind of uh, uh, just grasp in my life. Am I not being more what I should be so that my faith Faith does cost me something. So um, that was just, I guess, the conviction that I walked away with. But I thought it was kind of interesting that it kind of dovetailed a little bit with what Larry was preaching about this morning. Of, You know, our faith will cost us something. And there will come a day where it may cost us our lives, you know. And that's the situation in many parts of the world. So be praying for your brothers and sisters around the world that they can bear up under the pressure that is, you know, uh, placed on them by governments, by their own neighbors, by their own family members. So that's what it really has caused me to do, is just really be mindful of the persecuted church. So thank you for sending us. Thanks, baby. <clears throat> just, uh, just to piggyback a little bit on Moises, that pastor, we spent, Tracy and I, about four and a half hours with him driving from uh, Santa Clara to Havana, and learning a little bit more about his life. 
And when we got out of the taxi, he shared with me something, and I took that picture with him because we need to be praying for him. He's one of the premier, maybe the top leader in terms of prominence, boldness, and intellectual prowess, for sure, in all of Cuba. He's one of the pastors we support. You need to be praying for him. He had a meeting that day, and he told me uh, that um, uh, the top official in all of Cuba, government official, sat him down and a group of men gathered around him and with much intimidation demanded that he sign a document that would allow the government to confiscate 600 of their churches, 600 of the assembly churches, with great intimidation, and uh, demanded that Moises sign that document and report to his churches Sunday, today, that they cannot go back to the churches, the government is repossessing the churches, and he said, I will never sign that document. And he looked at those officials and he said, if you want to see what war is, you take on the church of Jesus Christ. Be, I mean, the boldness of this man is unbelievable in the stories I could share with you on this. How much time do I have? Like seven minutes. A little background. I'm going to have to go quick on this. Like five years ago, he was in Santa Clara. He led the only church public demonstration of Christians on the street of a church, 5,000 in number, without governmental approval, into the city square. 5,000 marched in praise of Jesus because he has said, you know, for 57 years or 70 years, the church has been silenced in Cuba, unable to speak, and there's a desperation for the church to be made known. Yes, witchcraft is allowed to walk the streets, Communist Party walked the streets, but not the Church of Jesus Christ. And so he did that. This Saturday, just yesterday, he led a march down the streets of Havana. First time ever in the history of the Christian church. He, a thousand of his people he brought down the streets to end in a public square. I have no idea how it went. We prayed for him. He's had death, death, threat, death threats by government officials. He's gotten in his car and driven. They've taken the lug nuts off so they would... And, and, and this is common practice for top, for top pastors in Cuba. This is what they're facing. The battle is real. And I said, Moises, I'm going to show our picture, your picture, so we can pray for this man. By the way, the greatest deal you can do for $25 a month, you can support a pastor in Cuba. You would have to be loco like me not to do that. Seriously. You can have a ministry in Cuba through our missions to, to support and adopt a pastor and pray for him and your family. And every one of these pastors chants, plants two, three, four, five, six churches. Hundreds of people come to Thousands. There's thousands of people coming to Christ in Cuba. And just an encouragement. What can you do? Support one of these kids for $25 a month. It's unbelievable how far it goes. How long is it going to last? We don't know. God's in control of all that. But what a privilege to be praying for men and women like this. You know, this, uh, it, it didn't surprise me, and yet it's always so beautiful when you show up and you see that God has already gone ahead of you, and 30 minutes before you arrive, you know, there's a conversation. How is this need going to be met? And we come, and we meet the need, and even, you know, for the roof. And, and what hit me was, Lord, please, in my life, when I'm around, what hit me is there is no place I can be with people where God is not arranging a divine appointment. There's no place. 
Help me to enter into where you at work, wherever I'm at. God is always at work with people in our cubicle at work, within our neighborhood. Help me to see, Jesus, that you are at work here and enter into the drama of being able to share the gospel. Bring the gospel into those areas so that an amazing blessing could come about. And this is what we do at Three Crosses. This is what we're known for. This is who you are. And may these stories which you've heard today inspire you and give you boldness like Anita, a loud voice, but with love, to enter into where God is leading you so we can see life transformation take place as we follow Jesus Christ, truly follow Jesus Christ. Now, I was going to show you, but we don't have volume, the baptisms. It's a one-minute powerful testimony of me baptizing this girl. And I wanted you to see it. We'll save it for later. Prior to these baptisms, I want you to know how they do baptisms in Cuba because it's not wimpy Christianity in Cuba. By the way, when you go to Cuba, the person in the front row is worshiping just as loud as the person in the back row. There is no difference. Even the person who's got the toilet water is praising God. There is no difference. You are flat out on fire for Jesus Christ when you're a Christian in Cuba because there's a price. And I believe that price is going to, it's coming to the United States. Hear Larry's message this morning. Get to the second service. It's coming. God's in sovereign, God's in control of over that. But, but this is how they do baptisms. He lined up all those eight young people that to be in front of the church, and he said this. I want you to look at all these eight. He said, if there's any reason why any of these eight should not be baptized, you speak up now or forever hold your peace. Is there sin in any of these lives that would prevent them from being baptized? Speak up, church family. That's the commitment to baptism, to following Jesus Christ. It comes with a price. It comes with a life that's committed to him. It was awesome. We baptized these young people. After they were baptized, they were marched up to the pulpit where they signed their name in the membership book. Now they are members. And by the way, the pastor said this. He, Juan de Dios, this was awesome. You're going to love this, Larry. Juan goes, okay, this is how we do baptism with Pastor Mark. Pastor Mark is going to hold you down under the water for five minutes. If you die, you go to heaven. If you survive, you will serve God the rest of your life. And I went, are you kidding me? I go, I need to bring that into seminar 101. We need a higher level. I was just like, this is so cool, you know. And yet that's the church of Jesus Christ. God is so good. He's so kind to us, but we learn from each other. We're the body of Christ, right? And they learn from us. We learn from them. And hopefully this morning, I believe God brought you here to teach you something because he loves you. We began with that great verse. Jesus said, I will build my church. The church isn't a building. The church is you. You're the church. And Jesus said, I will build you and the gates of hell. And you may be feeling like you're facing some gates of hell in your life. Guess what? Jesus is going to build you in spite of that, through that, no matter what your marriage, your family, whatever's going on, your finances. Allow the Lord to do his work on your life this morning, whatever message he has for you. Let's pray.